I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wheelhouse DNA. Hi, everyone. My name is Boye Koloday, and welcome to The Future Forecast, a podcast where we explore the intersection between business, technology, and entertainment. If you don't know me, I'm the co-founder and president of The Future Party, which is a community-based media company for creative professionals. We have a daily newsletter where we talk about culture and technology, and we host a ton of different events across the country. And I'm the co-founder and CEO of Crossfit Studios, a Gen Z media company built by Gen Z for Gen Z. At The Future Party, we are so proud of the business and the community we've built, so we had the idea to create this show to dissect and explain some of the most interesting stories. Today, we're looking ahead. We're going to talk about how some of the biggest corporations today are reinventing the company town, the concept of nostalgia and how it affects consumer behavior, and how studios are sending their content back to Netflix. But first, let's catch up. Let's catch up indeed. Dude, you just flew. We literally spoke on the phone last night, and now you're in London. Like, what's going on? I'm just I'm just a world traveler, boy. I just, you know, uh, just, just, you know, for what it's worth, this is my life. And I just do these things that my life requires. Don't let me get away with that. You got to sass me on that. You know, I come mean, on. You can't like let me like, like act like a total it, pompous. It, it is. It fool. is kind of your life. You're always, we're both always traveling. I mean, I'm in Florida right now. Isn't it cool how like, I, I'm going to sound a little cheesy, but I feel like yeah. every other day I'm just like, dang, technology is so cool. Like I would hate to be, to have been born in any other time than now, other than maybe the future. But like when, when else in the history of the world could we just talk to each other like this and travel and record a podcast. You're, I mean, you're so right. One of the topics I want to talk about is this idea of the company town, right? The village center and the reinvention that's happening within it. So essentially these technology companies are creating their own towns. And uh, a lot of people are saying this is in response to storing real estate prices and a push to get workers back into the office. Uh, but some of the biggest corporations are literally building communities and towns. For example, Google is investing in two communities in Mountain View, California. Uh, Meta is creating a community called Willow Village in Menlo Park. Uh, Disney is building 1,400 units in Kissimmee, Florida, near Disney World. By the way, I'm in Kissimmee right now. Uh, and some more real quick. Elon, uh, this one I actually think is really fascinating, is creating a community outside of Austin, Texas for employees of SpaceX, Tesla, and The Boring Co. in Snailbrook, Texas. NBC Universal is doing some stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's what's happening. Quick question. Quick question. Yeah. Of the towns that you've named thus far, mm -hmm. it sounds like I already know the one because you kind of hinted to it. Where would you stay? Like if you had to like do a stint, where are you staying? I think Austin, A, just because I have no intention of living in the Bay Area. Not that I am averse to the Bay Area. It's just not my thing. 
Florida. Yeah, what, 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 why, why, why are you giving hate to the to Menlo Park? You it's like you not- chuckled. There was like an adverse chuckle to like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea of ever ever staying in San Francisco or, or like. What, what, you don't like people saying hella tight? Like, like, what, you have, you have a problem against Hekka? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? I don't want to go hyphy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, I don't know. It's just not my vibe. Yeah, I've always honestly liked the idea of Austin. It's always felt like a big creative city meets small town. And so I just, I'm more connect to that over. SF. I vibe with what Elon's doing. I just feel like it, it sounds cool. I feel like the type of people that would be in that community would probably be like really smart, really intellectual, really innovative, probably pushing the limits just by being in the city, which is what I find fascinating about this concept, right? Because you're not at work, but are you? Even after how everything's been handled with Twitter? I think... Might be look, scary, might be out of a job. You know, I'm just just throwing it out there. I know we're going off topic, but just throwing it out there could be, uh, you know, the first first day you move your entire family, and next thing you know, one day you're in, next day you're out. I I do think with him in particular, there's a cult of personality, yeah. but I I don't think he's going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, no. uh, the, maybe he'll get a slap on the wrist for Twitter. Maybe he'll lose Twitter at some point, but. The man is pushing the limits of humanity, and I just really think that he has a solid, strong fan base and user base. You know, I think if he really did something wrong and people started getting rid of their Teslas in the same way that, you know, everyone's hiding their Yeezys, then, then maybe that's something. But I, I think he has a little bit more sense than that, hopefully. For you, the risk is worth the reward in working in a camp like that or, or in like a town under him. Yeah. I'm going to answer this like a politician and change the subject, but I think what's more fascinating is this idea in general, like, would, would I ever do this? Whether it's Elon or Zuck, like, would I ever move to a community where I, I lived with my colleagues? I might throw that to you. Like, would you ever do that? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Um, it's kind of shitty to say, but it's just how I feel about it. What is the balance between the sacrifice of personal and work? And there's obviously those two things blend, but I think that when working on a project, I'm not suggesting that one needs to be all in, but I think that there's a hard push pull between the balance of those two worlds. And I think history shows that time and time again, a lot of those that have created such great advancements submerge themselves in the work. And you, ha- you know, it's the best way to uphold accountability. We're a work from home type place, but I will say that when I think about the advances that happened, it's either someone solo alone off or everyone amongst themselves all hen- uh, like all hands on deck, heads down on a project for months on end. So you feel like there's more of an opportunity for innovation? I think that when you have people focus on a goal and their sole focus is said goal, your your why, you're waking up specifically to focus on the task without distraction. And I don't yeah. want to suggest that personal is distraction. It's not. That it is so far from what I actually intend or, or yeah. actually mean. But 
that is that is time away from the 10,000 hours of you being a master, right? That's 10,000 hours of you moving away. So um, that's so, so interesting that you say that, you know, because a lot of what people are saying is the benefit of why companies would do this or, or, or the benefit even to the employees feel very surface level, right? Things like being close to where you work and there's a lack of a commute. Uh, and for corporations, they essentially are getting paid back because they're recouping the salaries of their employees from the rent that they're paying. There's a lack of inventory in the housing market. So this makes sense. I resonate a lot more with what you're saying. From a company perspective, it makes complete sense, right? Get brilliant people, not to just do work together, but to do life together. And you might find more inspiration, a better quality of life, so on and so forth. The question is, is that enough incentive for the employee, for the worker? Well, and I think, I think something to factor in is specifically the actual employee and not the family member, right? I think that what, you know, we, we talked about Oppenheimer a bit offline, but I think that's something that, that it touches on, but doesn't truly really engulf or recover. People can be the heads of great movements uh, or are, are, you can be an employee of a company like Boring or Meta you, at a very high level, but your family, your wife, husband, whomever, your support system that is there around you is very much sacrificing debatably a significant like they are making a sacrifice to be with you and be on your journey and support you uh and that's a very hard struggle to think about this isn't the first time that this is happening right in the past company yeah. towns were typically created by big industries think the coal you know mines metal mines lumber etc and that's yeah. an example actually of this sort of idea of building whole communities around an industry. And I, I think it will continue to happen. But one thing I've, I've honestly always thought of is this idea that one day corporations will become countries. And is this alluding to that? Maybe, maybe not. And what I mean by that is these corporations are becoming so powerful. Their revenue is more than the GDP of countries, right? They are buying land. Eventually, they will probably all have robotic workforces, you know, and some are building defense capabilities. And, and it, it, is it inevitable that all, like every major tech company will just build a city? Uh, if I can piggyback on that, you obviously need healthy boundaries. But I'm very intrigued by the idea of working head down, like a, like a film set. If you think about it, a film set is a perfect example of a campus, right? You move yeah. to Atlanta, the whole crowd goes, you have three months, you're solely head down working on that product. Some people move their family there to be there while on set, et cetera. But it's not typically often the case. And so I just, I think there's something to be said about creating art or work where you're doing a stint specifically to focus on crafting and creating that specific thing. 
Have you ever heard of the term nostalgia before? I've heard of nostalgia. Now you have me doing it. Nostalgia? <laughs> but what's what? I don't actually, I'm not familiar with the concept. What's nostalgia? Nostalgia. Okay, so uh, nostalgia is essentially a new term. Uh, it was coined by this writer who worked at the BBC to describe a recent phenomenon where our culture or culture in general and societies move so fast that people start to miss things the moment they can no longer do them or the moment they're no longer available, right? So nostalgia, you know, traditionally how we know it, we take part in things that honestly we may have never even experienced, right? Like 70s parties and what nostalgia is advocating for essentially is that amount of time instead of decades, it's now a year or two, maybe, maybe even sooner. Essentially the speeding up of that recycled trend where you go, oh wow, remember when? Even though that thing might have been like two years ago as opposed to 15 years ago. I wonder if that's happening now more than ever just because you said it just specifically because of technology, but people I think are so much more self-reflective and thinking about the past versus focusing on the future. So you're constantly being distracted by a way of your former yeah. self. I've known the feeling of nostalgia to actually be a painful feeling, right? If you really dive into the idea of nostalgia is it's I want something that I used to have. I remember yeah. it and I'm so hopeful. I wish it were here. That's not like necessarily a good feeling. That's pain. That's loss, right? And you're you're sort of feeling it in remembrance of that thing. And so when I think of what you're bringing up regarding technology and social and being more contemplative, I think it's a grasp a feeling uh, at the end of the day, like boiling it down to its most basic point is people are grasping for a feeling that they once had, and they're doing it more quickly because they want those good feelings as much as possible. And I think we're probably seeing a lot of it, yes, because of the proliferation of technology, but I think it's the proliferation of communication and social media. We're at a point in our lives in the in the history of humanity where you can find whatever your heart is looking for in any pocket of the internet you can join sewing communities you can join running clubs you can join 80s groups and really weird niche whatever things you can find anything and so i think people are going online realistically and they're just finding what their heart is drawn to, whether they experienced it or they're looking at other people who had experienced those things and wanting those things again. Obviously, that's why Barbie did so well, right? When I think of nostalgia and yep. I think of how it plays into one's life, if I were to parallel Barbie to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which ironically enough, did not do as well, right? Did not do at all any nearly as well. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles makes me go, oh man, this is what I was like when I was a kid. I want to pass this down to my son. I want to live vicariously through my, my, my child and have them have the same love that I had or what I think I had for this thing. 
I'm actually really happy you you brought up Barbie. That whole movie is literally built on nostalgia. Like that's you know basically yeah. the, the storyline. The biggest proponents of nostalgia have actually already been around for so long, right? The, the funny thing I think about nostalgia is it's not just people clamoring for these things. It's these corporations understanding that they can make money off of these things. So actually, yeah. I feel like it's the corporations that are like saying, "Hey, we knew this was a hit, so we're going to bring it back." Because something magical about this thing worked, and so we're going to push it. And over time, the studios and even music, like the record labels are like, man, we need to make more money quicker. Let's just do it again. Let's do Transformers 7. Let's do The Hobbit, right? Let's do Harry Potter's spinoff series. And so I think, you know, nostalgia is both this clamoring of remembrance from a consumer POV, but it's also, I think, big, big brother, big corporations understanding that they can make a lot of money off of what people liked in the past. There's been some interesting deal making lately that leads me to believe that Netflix has won the streaming wars. And whoa, is this a hot take right now? Like you're jumping the gun? Like what is it? You're just is that how this is going to go? You're just going to start making your hot takes <laughs> topics before we even get to the hot this takes? This is like a warm take, right? Like <laughs> it's it's not it's not like fully blown hot. I think I think it's there. It's objective. Netflix is extremely yeah. profitable. It's the most profitable streaming platform, and right now as it stands, the movie studios are licensing their content to Netflix. Well, let's let's do like a brief history, Sparknote history. Netflix came on the scene, they started as DVDs, then they started licensing content. The studios loved it because they were essentially making money and having a different window beyond DVDs yeah. or VHS, right? And eventually the studios were like, well, we need our own streaming platforms. Why are we giving it all to Netflix? Netflix is becoming too powerful. And that's when you got all the pluses, right? Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus and Hulu, et cetera, et cetera. And they wanted to create closed systems now. So Apple TV Plus, Hulu Plus, the aforementioned streaming platforms now predominantly, not completely stopped licensing their content because they wanted to build up their own pipes. And now they went backwards. And so now they are just straight up being like, have my my whole old library. And one of the biggest ones is 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 uh, Warner Brothers. Like a lot of old DC superhero films are now on Netflix. And so that's what leads me to think that Netflix has won. I think there's an argument to be made that the licensing of properties like DC, people could say are in a way, cheating the system to like continue staying at the top of pop culture. Obviously very prominent and phenomenal IPs. So it does help their IP get out there and filter it back to them. I'm not trying to disagree with you, but I'm, I'm more throwing out the question. I'm, I'm curious if Netflix is now too big to fail in the sense of they're big, that they, they're so big that now because everyone goes onto the platform is looking to watch something new and you hear about like the Netflix effect of getting on the platform and they're not like being anything good to watch because they can't pump out as fast because they want to keep quality that they're forced to license to keep people on the platform to feel this feeling of new 
on Netflix. And I'm curious how much money has to go into that. Where are they breaking even just to keep eye, uh, retention of eyeballs? Well, I think I think everyone's backs are being scratched right now. I yeah. think Netflix needs the content and these studio partners need Netflix. They have to continually keep the attention. Who knew at the start of this year that Suits would basically be Netflix's top performing piece of content? I remember when Suits came out years ago, no one was watching that. It was on USA. You know what I mean? Don't get yeah. me wrong. It has like yeah. a, a rabid fan base, but there is that Netflix effect that takes certain things and just you throw it into the algorithm and you get much, much more. And so they with content they didn't even have to make, they more or less kept eyeballs on the whole summer. But they're all struggling. They're all in debt, right? We talked about Sherry Redstone yeah. figuring out how to, how to sell Paramount. Zazlab over at Max and Warner Discovery is really trying to take off the debt off their balance sheet. So I think it is a mutual benefit to prop Netflix up right now. But I think they're going to run away with it because they're just going to keep getting paid. I truly believe that Apple is winning at the streaming wars. And, and I'll say it specifically. You'll say, Chris, what are you talking about? They barely put content out all the time. Like, why? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not about the output of content, Boye. I would argue that they offer every single streaming platform to jump by way of Apple TV, that makes you the mega media winner of all. Because you're not actually having to put out any of their content. Everyone else is paying for it. You're just giving them access to your, yeah. to your window and then putting out premium quality whenever you choose. You know we have to do it. It's hot take time. All right, hot take time. It's that time where each week we make a prediction about something in culture. Uh, that we look at, dissect, hopefully we win, and we go over. We will like to see if we win our predictions. So, Chris, I must ask, what is your hot take? I'm so grateful that you asked. I actually think 2024 is going to have a spike in crypto transactions. There's been a lot of discussion around it here in 2023, uh, around it coming to a lull and I'm just seeing so much more again very clear I'm not a professional this is not me telling anyone that listens to our podcast to invest in cryptocurrency this is not financial advice mm -hmm. what I am what I'm truly saying is that from what I see on the in the media and what I'm seeing by way of social media for that matter I do think that there's going to be a continued spike specifically and, and, a, and a hard push given that we're moving into a new election, moving into a, a potential changing of the guard, people questioning our financial stability and where we stand. And usually in those moments of fear-mongering or, or, or social discussion, you'll see a high level of transactions specifically in, in crypto because of the belief of, of what crypto stands for. I think Apple will acquire Snapchat. I hate you so much. Like, stop with these prolific, just cool takes right now. Like, I'm playing to win. <laughs> um, I'm playing to inspire, Chris. Um, yeah, you, by, you really are. God. 
if you think about the evolution of iMessage, it's evolved and it kind of feels very social right now. And I've always wondered, does Apple have like a secret social media play in their back pocket? Because iMessage is basically social media, in my opinion, right? Especially when you think of WhatsApp, Telegram, right? All these messaging platforms that also feel like social media. iMessage has got to be the biggest of them all, and they're big on privacy. So that's that's one, right? They're always innovating. Snapchat, I think, might have a limited amount of time of engagement, potentially. One, TikTok is just crushing, right? I do know Snapchat, I believe, surpassed, maybe it was like Instagram or some other platform, because young people still like to use Snapchat as a communication device, right? Yeah. Tim Cook's succession, right? At some point, Tim will need to hand over the reins. And I actually think someone like Evan Spiegel would be the perfect person to take over the reins. You think Apple would allow that, though? Allow what? Spiegel? To take it over? Yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think the idea is you acquire him now, integrate him in, let him watch Tim Cook for several years, and eventually have the opportunity to take over. And then you get an innovator at the top of the helm, similar to a Steve Jobs. Chris, I always love jamming, even when we're both halfway across the world from each other. Uh, everyone listening, we hope you tune in next week. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review. Uh, we know you're listening. We know you love it. So if you could just show some love, more people can listen to Chris and I rag on each other every week. Just kidding. More people can listen to uh, this conversation. So we'll catch you next week. Peace. The Future Forecast is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for ACAST. Our executive producers are me, Oye Koliday, along with Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, and Leah Sutherland. Our audio producer is Chiara Noni. Our audio engineer is Matthew Blocka. Our editor is Nick Kursami. The podcast is hosted by yours truly, Boye Koliday and Chris Sautel. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.